Thank you, Robs. It's been a while since those keys have been pounded so hard. Appreciate you waking that piano up for us. Nice to have you back. Well, Merry Christmas to everybody. It's good to see everyone here this morning. Just out of curiosity, how many have already opened their gifts this morning? The majority. And so how many does that leave that has to to still open gifts? Okay. A little little fewer. Sorry for you guys. You already opened your gifts. We still have our Christmas after the service. So did, um, so how many, uh, for those of you that opened your gifts, how many got an Xbox for Christmas? Yeah, there's in the back. How many got some clothes for Christmas? Lots of people. How many got uh, some hunting stuff for Christmas? What? No hunting stuff for Christmas? Wow, that surprised me. How about tools, some good tools for Christmas? couple, just a few. And uh, gift, how about gift cards? Oh, yeah, that's the, that's the, that's the craze. And then um, how about just good old-fashioned toys? Get some toys. Yeah. All right. Well, Merry Christmas for, to everyone. Uh, this is since I've been pastoring. This is the second Sunday uh, that Christmas has fallen on in about 13 years. And so I know in our culture, Christmas Day is a busy time. Friends, family, lots of cooking, uh, gift giving and receiving. And so I'm sure to have church on Christmas Day, some of you like like uh, myself had to alter maybe your Christmas routine. But just being here reminds me that there's just something special about worshiping Christ the Savior, Christ the Lord, Christ our Savior with my church family on this very rich day of worship. This day was chosen by the church over 1,700 years ago. That The church decided this is the day that we in unity will come together and celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so we stand on very rich shoulders of worship heritage this morning. And I just pray that, that God's Spirit would be as active today among us in our hearts as He was among the shepherds and the others that came to worship Christ the babe. Isaiah 9 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, to us, to us. God gives God as a gift. God gives his son, Jesus Christ, as the gift. Just want to read a little um, uh, liturgy from the Greek Orthodox Church that they will read on this day regarding the birth of Christ. Jesus Christ, the Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, is born today as a tender babe upon whom the angels gaze with awe. The true light that enlightens every man coming into the world has shone in the darkness of a poor stable. And the time of death and corruption is nearing its end. Solomon no longer has cause to exclaim that there is nothing new under the sun. For this small child is the second Adam who has brought a new creation, a new man into being henceforth by following Christ. By obeying his commandments and by suffering with him in order to arise through him, mankind is called to find immortality. 
well written. And may God know that above all else, we enjoy the gift of his son this morning. Well, speaking of gifts, a popular gift that... No? A popular gift that uh, is found under the trees through the years, for at least for, for, uh, for the most part, girls... Are dolls, sometimes you know baby dolls, and we gave our girls their share of baby dolls. I, I remember when uh, I think there was I don't know if it's still there, but there was an American Girl doll craze, and at some point in their childhood, we gave our girls uh, American Girl dolls. And these dolls are a little different because they actually come with a name, uh, like Caroline or Josephina, lots of different names, and they even come with their own story. Their own background, background. So you kind of adopt those dolls. They come equipped. But um, not every doll has its name. And one of the fun things about receiving a doll or a pet or something like that as a gift is that you get to name it. And so it's fun to watch uh, a little girl receive a doll and then um, see how their little minds work. They know what they get to do. They get to name that doll. And they can come up with all kinds of different names. For dolls, I remember when we were watching, Abby was watching little Gracie. Uh, she came and to visit us one day and she had a new doll and was introducing us to that doll. was very, very excited. And we said, what is that doll's name? And she said, Heartbeat Sundown. So you, you just never know what kind of name that these little girls are going to come up with. But it's fun to name things. It's fun. And it's... Uh, you get to think about that pet or that doll or that new thing. And, and, and sometimes we want to try to look for a characteristic in it or a personality trait in it and then name it after that. Or sometimes we want to just impose our own will on that object and name it that. But we usually have something in mind for it uh, that depicts or displays our plans for that object. I want to read a portion of the Christmas story out of none other, since we haven't been there for so long, the Gospel of Matthew. That shows the importance of giving a name and then explore what the giving of that name means to us today. So I'm in Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 18 through 21. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Bestowing a name. This is baby Jesus' story. His mother was the Virgin Mary. His earthly father was Joseph. His real father was and is God. Joseph decided that he was going to divorce Mary quietly because obviously she had been promiscuous. 
Then an angel appears and tells him two things to do. First of all, he is to know that Mary was not promiscuous, that this thing is from the Lord, this child is from the Lord, and that he is to take her as his wife. And the second thing he is told by this angel to do is to name his son Jesus. Now Mary and Joseph got to know perhaps a lot of things that people in that day and age did not get to know, such as the gender of their child. There was a day and age when you just had to take a good guess, an educated guess as to, of course, it's a 50-50 chance, uh, but you had to take a good educated guess. Now, we have technology today that has changed all of that, but in that day, maybe it was a big deal that they, got, they didn't have to wonder, well, uh, is it going to be a boy or a girl? They not only were informed of the gender, but also a name to give their child. So they don't have to wonder about that. But Jesus comes with a name. Jesus comes with a story already. A history. I've mentioned this before, but uh, giving names in biblical times is a very big deal. Not so, not so much today. And we... we Name things and and children all different kinds of names for different kinds of reasons and but it, in that day it was a big deal and and oftentimes people would name their children after things uh, that they hoped that maybe they would become a characteristic or a role that they would play in life so there was a lot of thought that went into it in trying to describe that person to name something is an act of dominion. It's an act of servant leadership. It's an act of responsible management. God called man Adam. And then Adam, God instructed Adam to name the creatures that he had created. And so Adam, they, they were presented to him. And the idea is that he's thinking deeply about what to name each, uh, each animal. Uh, looking for a, a characteristic. A characteristic or an aspect, looking for the role that that creature might play in creation, to assign a name to perhaps something that they have to offer. So he's discerning what they are designed to do, perceiving their potential, perceiving their capacity. See, managers, he's, he's managing. He's taking dominion. He's managing. Managers don't always own. Actually, managers, managers rarely own the things that they manage. But they're taking responsibility for it. The same thing goes when Adam named Eve. It's not because he owns Eve, but it is because he, she is her separate being. But he's wanting to perceive what God has created her to be so that he can call that out, so that he can bring these characteristics and the giftedness that God has put in her out so that God's purpose is intended. So in the Bible, your name is often an expression of what you are or what they hope you to be. Or perhaps we get more into um, spiritual things, what your calling will be. That's why Jesus often changed People's names. It was a common practice of his. He would change their names according to their culture. He would change uh, to their um, calling. Uh, he would change their nature. He would really redirect their entire purpose 
in life. So before he was Peter, he was Simon. And the, and the name Simon just means listen. Simon was uh, an impulsive guy. He'd say one thing one minute and do something different the next. And he, he had tremendous faith and was walking on the water one second. And then he's sinking, crying out to the Lord the next to save him. He's wielding his sword one second to defend Jesus. And in the same night, he's denying that he ever even knew him. He, he wasn't constant. He at times was cowardly. And then Jesus comes to him and he looks at him and, and he says, uh, your name is Peter. You're a rock. No longer to be wishy-washy, no longer to be constantly changing your mind and to be running from things, but you are to be a, a rock that the waves break against. You're to be something that's there and, and constant and stable. That was his calling. That's how Christ named him. He says, I call you Peter. And with a new name comes a new direction in life. See, Jesus is now in Peter's life and he's cultivating him and he is equipping him to be what God has intended him to be. That name, that calling. And so often to name a person is to to look into them and draw out what God has put there to manage, to take dominion, to serve. Jesus' parents were not allowed to name their firstborn son, their firstborn child. And parents always get to name their children. I mean, it's their responsibility, but it's also their right. It's the way it works. It's the way it's always worked. They're, they're their managers. They name their children and they care for them until they're old enough to care for themselves. It's kind of their job. And it's their job also to bring out these things that God has put in their children. So what does it mean in this, in this Christmas story that the parents of Jesus did not get to name him? And what does it mean for us today? That's what we're going to explore this morning. Well, in short, it means that they do not get to manage Jesus, but he manages them. They don't get to name Jesus Because he owns them. See, Jesus came into the world with a rich history. Jesus came into the world already in the middle of a story that is being unfolded, unraveled, and revealed. He is God's gift to man. But man does not manage him. He manages man. He cultivates them. He develops us. He brings things out of us. He imparts things into us that need to be there. See, no Human names Jesus. He's already been named. He's been given the name. God names God. We learn in chapter 3 that Jesus came to fulfill all righteousness. And so Jesus was very obedient to his parents because that's what the law called for. And when he was asked to do something, he would do it. It was not because they owned him. It's because he is a righteous person. Righteous God. And so he willingly, gladly obeyed everything that they asked him to do. Of course, it lined up with God's word. The point is that when we come into a relationship with Christ, he names us. We do not name him. He develops us. We do not develop him. 
Now let's apply this. What does that mean? Well, it means that when Christ comes into our lives, they're going to take a turn. It might be a sharp turn to the right or the left. It might be a very gradual turn. Barely a turn. But when Christ comes into our lives, they're going to take a turn because we have been going in the wrong direction. And Christ is going to put us in the right direction. And he's going to begin to call things out that God has put there. Things that we need to serve God in his kingdom. There's going to be a change. And often this change will be things that we did not see coming. If you've been a Christian for a while, you will realize this is absolutely true. That God has changed the direction in our life many times in ways that we just did not see coming. And that's actually normal for the Christian experience, not the exception to the rule. Timothy Keller says, Christianity is not a self-improvement program, not just a philosophy or like a diet. Christianity isn't something you come in and you sort of work it out and, and you do it. Christianity works you out and does you. That's because when Jesus comes into our lives, we don't know for sure what he has for us. I remember as a new Christian wondering, I mean, you, he gives you a new life. He gives you a new, a new nature, a new purpose, new meaning. What does that mean? We don't always know. What's he going to do with us? We don't always know. And I remember thinking sometimes, what have I gotten myself into? I mean, God, this is God. And he can do anything he wants. So we, we don't know for sure what he will want us to do, where he'll want us to go, how will he'll want us to do it. There's a unpredictable element in the Christian experience. I mean, did you see that your life would be as it is today when you became a, Christ, a Christian, when you gave your life to Christ? Did you think, well, this is who I would be married to and this is how many children I would have or this is this is who I would befriend in school or this is the kind of jobs I would have. This is the kind of church I would be ministering in. I mean, how many, how many of us can possibly see these kind of things coming? Did you see that? Did you look down the halls of time when you became a Christian and say, yeah, I'll be ministering in Guatemala for the new year. But God has a plan and he calls those things out. Did I see that I would be standing up here preaching a sermon to a congregation? Never. Absolutely not. Almost until the day it actually happened. But God takes us, and I'm still foggy-headed about it. I'm still in denial sometimes. But God takes us. He, he has a plan, and, he, and he, he calls these things out, and he works, and he needs these things into us. I really like uh, what one Christian writer, how he describes it. He puts it this way. He says, becoming a Christian is sort of like asking a construction worker to come into your house and fix it, to come into your house and fix the things that need to be fixed because the roof leaks, the doors don't quite shut properly as they should. And there's drafts that are coming in, very cold uh, weather in the winter time, and, and it rains sometimes, water comes in the roof. And so he goes on and on 
Uh, and, and basically you're saying, look, I, I don't know a lot about this stuff if you're not a do-it-yourself or a contractor. I don't know a lot about this stuff. All I know is that it needs to be fixed. I want you to come in here, do whatever's necessary. I'm tired of being cold. I'm tired of being wet. Please fix my house. And in the beginning he does. He starts to plug up the leaks so that the water doesn't come through the roof. And then he starts to fill up the, the holes and fix the, the doors and find other drafts that were in the house that were making you so cold and and that all makes good sense and then and then he begins to knock down some walls and you come home one day and you find that one of your rooms is gone you come home another day and there's scaffolding all over the back of the house some kind of construction project and you look around and you turn on the light and there you go to turn on the light and the switch isn't there anymore it's been moved Next thing you know, you see the, the new, uh, an addition going up and there are towers going up. Courtyards being planned for your yard and your property. You suddenly realize that all you wanted him to do was just to come in and fix your, your house. Just, just give me a nice, warm, secure, safe place to live. That's all I asked you to do. Just want a, a little cottage here. Something on a Christmas card. And he's turning your little house into a palace to be fit for a king. See, when you're turning a little college into a, a palace, there's a lot of incongruity. There's a lot of changes that need to take place. You can't just plug a hole or fix a leaf or, or a leak. And that's often what we think it means to become a Christian. God's just going to come in there and he's just going to fix this little leak and he's going to He's going to heal this little pain that I've had. And that's what God does. He's the healer. He's the soother. He's going to fix these things. And then next thing you know, your life's going crazy. And God's working in your heart. And he's bringing things to your mind. And he's giving you urges. And he's leading you by his spirit in ways that you never imagined. And you're having thoughts that you never thought that you would think. How did C.S. Lewis put it? God is not a tame lion. There is an unpredictability about him. And that is the norm for the Christian life, not the exception. It is absolutely an adventure to being a Christian. If, if it's not an adventure, we're not doing something right. Because when God's spirit comes into us, he changes us, he redirects us. And he rebuilds. It's a construction project. And part of us has to be put to death before we can come to life. So that's what this means for us this season and really into the new year because I won't be here to preach the new year message. But I, I preach this sermon with an eye to 2017. This idea of God calling things out, continuing to work and change and our hearts and our minds. It, it means that he owns the universe. He owns all that is in it. And he is in charge. It means that in the short run, living for Christ can be very, very dangerous. We live in dangerous times. You, if you read the news at all, you will realize that as a Christian, we live in dangerous times. They are not becoming safer. Maybe they will. Maybe things will change. But as of right now, that is not the case. So it means in the short run, living for Christ can be dangerous. Uh, he's turning us into what 
we will become. He may tear things up and move them around. We might go to flip the switch or turn the water on and it's not there. It's been moved or it's just been totally removed. We don't need it, he says. That security or that thing in our lives. And it can get painful and it can be messy. And I can only think of one thing more dangerous than following Christ. And that is to not follow Christ. And that is to ignore his promptings. And to ignore the promptings in the voice of the Holy Spirit that wants to come in and be God's gift to you. That wants to come in and change your life. And yes, put you on the edge of danger. But always with his eternal presence. And there is no safer place to be than in the presence of God. Let's be honest. As Christians, you know, there's times when we are very, very scared to surrender this certain part of our lives because we're scared of what God might do with it. If we say, God, do whatever you want with my life, what might he say? That's a scary thing to say. And so we hold back. There's been plenty of times that I have not prayed that prayer. I prayed that prayer one time and regretted it a little bit. Not all the way. God always brings the good things out of the bad. And he does, in the long run, straighten out the messes. And healing is on the way. And I like the way that uh, I love the Greek Orthodox literature when he says the time of death and corruption is nearing its end. That excites me. It's nearing its end. We're getting closer and closer to the day when death and corruption will no longer be a thing that we have to deal with every day. I mean, it's coming closer and closer. I love that. We have to know, even though we might be scared to surrender these things in our lives. And you know what? There's a good possibility he might ask you to do the very thing you didn't want to do. Ask Jonah. Yeah, that's that's on the table as a disciple of Christ. We also have to know that God is not going to do everything we ask him to do for us in our life. Where we have it all planned out and here it would be nice for you to do this and this and this. We can live good, clean lives and expect that because we've lived good, clean lives, God is going to deliver. And that's not true. It's not always the case. We don't get to manage him and that's why. That's why it's not always the case. We don't get to manage him. We don't get to name him. We don't get to make him into what we want him to be. He names us. He owns us. When did Mary's life change? When she said the words in Luke one thirty three, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it, be, let it be to me according to your word. And look at her life. Look how it changed. I mean, she's holding this baby, the Son of God. And then she's fleeing for their lives. And then the, she watches him and, and ponders all these crazy things that are going on in her life, in her heart. What in the you know, miracles and what did he mean by that? And he's talking to his father and and then she watched her son die. Be unto me according to your word. Her life took a different direction. She had us. She's saying, I just want to serve you in the way that you've put me here to serve you. You call the shots. And you have to let God be God in our lives. God let Jesus be Jesus in our 
lives. Are we there this Christmas? Are those the kind of things we're thinking about? Are we looking at 2017, the year to come, with a heart to just want to let God manage our lives and let God do with what He wants to do in these times? Or are we still holding back from surrendering? These are the kind of things as believers that we have to think about. But we want to let God name us. Let God, let God name you. Let Him develop you. Let Him bring these things out and put things in that need to be there this coming year. It's never too late with God. And I'll just... Uh, the second point is very short. And that is... Salvation is of the Lord. That's what the name Jesus means. Salvation is of the Lord. The thing about Jesus is he was very common in one sense of the word. He had a very common name, Yeshua. Um, Joshua, same name in the Old Testament as Joshua. His name originally was uh, Hosea, but Moses put the Lord in front of that name and it became Yeshua. So the Lord is salvation. And that was a very, very common name in the Old Testament and in uh, Jesus's ranks and culture. Nothing unusual. One like call him Poindexter or call him Almas. Like, what? What? what were his parents thinking? It's very, very common. And that was one of his trademarks. But bringing this common name or bearing this common name is God in the flesh. There's nothing common about that. And it means that salvation is of the Lord. And that's the gospel right there. Salvation is of the Lord. What does that mean? It means you can't save yourself. It means you can't make yourself a Christian. It means you can't make yourself righteous. You can't make yourself right with God. It means that we are completely relying upon the grace of God. For our salvation by grace through faith alone, may we be saved. So his grace has to come upon us and open our eyes in order for us to see the majesty and the beauty of the salvation of Jesus Christ. So in closing, what do we do with this part of the Christmas story that has to do with naming? Well, we stop trying to control God, we stop trying to manage God, tell Him how we want our lives to go, and we let Him be Lord. We let Him be Savior. We let Him serve us as He has come to do. Welcome the change. Welcome the change through prayer. Welcome the change through Bible study, through worship and fellowship with the saints. Salvation is of the Lord. And if you will... And the Spirit comes into us and brings gifts, not just the gifts of God's Son, but little gifts when we become Christians that are called spiritual gifts. And He sticks them under the, the tree, if you will, of our souls. And as we go on with Christ, we unwrap them and unravel them and we look at them and we get to learn these gifts that God has given us and discern the ways that He wants us to serve Him in His kingdom. Let earth receive her king. Glory be to God. And may you continue to have a blessed Christmas. And it's an honor and privilege to worship with you, my church family, on this Christmas day. God bless.